Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, true source of all godliness, graciously hear the devout prayers of your church and grant those things which we ask faithfully we may obtain effectually through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Isaiah. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in truth shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstone staff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any more. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come, arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if he has a son who asks for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, it is good for us to gather together in this place and to seek you together. We're just so thankful this morning um, that we can grow in the knowledge of you. We're so thankful that we have a heavenly father who longs for us to know him and who knows us. So we pray, Lord, lead us um, in this time. Um, We ask um, that you give us insight um, into your word and grow us as your followers. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were with us uh, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Joel uh, spoke about uh, work uh, we're doing a series where we're thinking about um, uh, the aspects of living as citizens of the kingdom. How does that affect our lives to know that we belong to God's kingdom, that that's where our ultimate citizenship is, and that affects our work, um, as Joel spoke about, and how we think about our work, and we can look at the scriptures to sort of understand how God thinks about our work. Um, one thing Joel talked about was that um, we often use the term vocation in speaking of work, because that captures the fact that work ultimately, according to the scriptures, is a calling. It's something actually that we don't ultimately choose, but is given to us. We are called to something. God calls us. And my own um, journey and discerning God's calling in my life, and as I discerned um, the sense I had that God was calling me to pastoral ministry, to, to work in the church as a pastor, uh, one thing I had to kind of wrestle with was the fact that my older brother, Stuart, had a very similar calling. Matter of fact, when we were younger and we were growing up, um, people would ask us the question that young children are often asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, now I know that the answer I should have given is, it's not up to me, it's up to God's calling, um, but I, I hadn't heard Joel's sermon yet, so I didn't know that answer when I was a, a young child. Uh, so I would say, I want to own a pet shop. I just figured that would be the best job, right? You get to be around puppies all day and take care of them. It'd actually probably be a terrible job, but I thought it would be a great job owning a pet shop. My brother would literally say, as a young child, I want to be a pastor. Right? That was always his answer. I want to be a pastor. And so when I began to um, wonder about that calling, I remember um, sitting down with my dad, telling him that I was thinking about going to seminary. And the first question he asked was, are you just trying to be like your older brother? And it was a question already that I was asking, but when my father asked it, suddenly it had a greater weight. Right? That's sort of the voice of a father in the life of their children. Right? There's a, a weightiness there. There's a heaviness. 
Now, thankfully, my dad asked that question, but then he really walked with me over the next few years as I thought about that. I could seek him out to, to pray and talk to him about um, this discernment of calling. Uh, and when it came the day, actually a number of years later, where I was ordained, on the day of my ordination, my, brother, my father gave me a note that actually said, I know you are called to this. Right? As I've prayed for you, I believe with all my heart that this is your calling. And that was a huge deal. Right, to get that blessing from that father, right? The affirmation from my father. I actually put that note right in my pocket right here. So it was over my heart as I was ordained. Right, again, fathers have power in our lives. Right, that can be for good. Sometimes it's for harm and for damage. Sometimes it's sort of a mix of both, right? There's blessings and sometimes hard things that we receive from fathers. But I want to think today about how knowing the father, the heavenly father, God our father, how that affects us in particular in our lives of prayer. So as we're thinking about what does it mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom, to live out our kingdom identity, one of the ways we live that out is we're people who pray. We pray to God. And unlike work, which actually I mentioned last week, we don't talk enough about work and the importance of work and how that is part of our lives as disciples. I think probably in the church we do talk a lot about prayer. That's not a surprising thing uh, to talk about, and we do it a lot. I mean, in a liturgical service like ours, a lot of this service is prayer. It's a wonderful part of gathering together. We just pray together a lot. But even with as much as we talk about prayer, as much as we engage in prayer, I find that most people have lots of questions about prayer, whether they've been Christians a long time, whether they're still trying to figure out what they believe spiritually. Questions about prayer come up. Right? I mean, why pray is a big question. Right? We know we're told to pray. We have this natural sense that we should pray. But sometimes we may step back and say, but if God knows everything, and if God is all-powerful, why would it make any difference if I pray to him and talk to him? Jesus himself said, the Father knows what you want before you even ask for it. So why do I ask then if the Father already knows what I want? And again, he's much more powerful than I am. Right? And why do we ask others to pray? That's a question that comes up a lot. Okay, if I'm praying, okay, great, but why would I want other people to pray for me? Again, why does that matter if God is all-powerful, how many people are praying to him, whether it's 10 or 10,000? Why would that make any difference? And what about unanswered prayer? That's, of course, a huge question we can struggle with. Why, when I, I pray things that seem such a right thing to pray, are they not answered in the way I believe they should be answered? And it seems like biblically they should be answered. Right? And sometimes maybe we can you know, look back on unanswered prayer and say, oh, it's better that that prayer wasn't answered. Now I can see, right, when I was 18 and prayed for a sports car, that was God's mercy that he didn't give me a sports car. I wasn't ready. Right? But then it's now I'm 51 and I can handle a sports car. You know, where is it? You know, why isn't God answering that prayer now? Right? And much more seriously, right, there are probably prayers that we look back on and we say, I still don't understand why God didn't heal that person. It just seems like it would have been so much better. He would have been glorified if he had healed them. Why didn't God give me more wisdom in that situation where I really caused a lot of damage and I was praying for wisdom? I'm sure we all have unanswered prayers that we still struggle with. And so I'm not going to pretend to give a definitive answers to those questions. Pastors like to throw out questions and then kind of leave them there for you to discern. But actually what I do want to suggest is as we wrestle with those questions, as we think about prayer, that the core of our thinking about prayer should be who are we praying to? remembering the identity, the character, the attributes of the one we pray to, and that we pray to a good heavenly Father. Knowing God as Father has such an impact on how we understand prayer, as we think about prayer, and I want to consider that today. 
Now, I'm not saying you can only pray to the Father, you can't pray to Jesus, you can't pray to the Holy Spirit, you can't. Right? Pray to God, right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's significant that when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray, right? They've been watching him, they've seen him praying, and they say, we want to learn how to pray, we want to grow in prayer, Jesus teach us that the first word of the prayer that Jesus teaches them, according to Luke, is Father. Right? Start here, Father. And so when we pray, right, at least some of the time, we should be praying to the Father, directing our prayers to the Father. And again, that affects how we understand prayer. Because the first thing um, we see here, the first thing I want to highlight, we see a lot of things here. But the first thing I want to highlight is that the Father is eager for us to pray to Him. He wants us. He desires us. He invites us to pray to Him. And that is so key when we go to prayer, that we know we are praying to one who is ready for us to pray to Him and who is eager for us to pray to Him. And so if you look at this parable that begins um, on uh, verse 5 there um, in our, our gospel reading from Luke, right? It's an interesting uh, parable in that actually if you look at it, starting in verse 5, which of you, and then go down to the end of verse 7, and we see there's a question mark there. It's like verses 5, 6, and 7 are like this long question. So most of the parable, most of the story is actually phrased as a question. And we can wonder, well, what, what question is being asked here? Okay, so one thing that's helpful as we consider that is when we see um, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and actually this is in the other Gospels as well, when we see a question beginning with which of you, that phrase, it's always a question in which the answer is obvious. So, for example, Jesus, in talking about healing on the Sabbath, uh, and he's confronted about healing someone on the Sabbath, if you remember, he says, which of you, if your son fell into a well, or your child fell into a well on the Sabbath, would not help him out? Right? Would any of you, if your child fell into the well on the Sabbath, say, sorry, you have to wait till it's no longer Sabbath. I can't work on the Sabbath. I can't pull you out of that well. And the obvious answer is no. Right? You're going to help your child out of the well. You're not going to wait till the Sabbath is over before you help someone in need. And so in this case, there's a question with an obvious answer to it, but we can still wonder, well, what's the question? It's helpful then uh, to get to that answer to consider the culture in which Jesus spoke this. What do we know about, you know, first century Israel at that time, the Jewish people whom Jesus is speaking to? And one thing we know is hospitality was a huge deal, right? And so we're reading about bread and giving bread and providing a meal for someone, and we can stop and say, this is a really big deal. Probably a much bigger deal, I mean, not probably, for sure, a much bigger deal to them at that time than it is today to us, right? If a friend showed up at midnight, which probably isn't going to happen, but I don't know, a friend texts you at midnight or something and needs some food, you're probably going to say, let's wait till morning, right? I'll make you breakfast. But that wasn't really an option then in this culture. Right? If you think about, um, for instance, Jesus turning water into wine, and you kind of wonder, like, why was that such a big deal? It's, it's a big deal for multiple reasons, but one reason we can say Jesus did that miracle is because to run out of wine at a wedding was, you know, a huge thing of shame because hospitality was so important. And so if a friend shows up at midnight, which is surprising, people in general didn't travel much at night because it was so dangerous at night. But if it happened, you should give them a meal. It's not an option to say, sorry, I can't give you any food. So another thing we know about the culture at that time is people really knew each other's business, right? It's a much more sociable culture, much more community-oriented than we are, and people lived close together in villages. So they knew what was happening in one another's homes. They could probably hear at times what was happening to one, in one another's homes. So if you have a culture that's very high in hospitality and knows each other's business, and one person goes to another person's house in the middle of the night and knocks on the door or calls to the person, do you have any bread? And that person says, no, everybody knows it, 
Everybody knows they did not offer hospitality. They did not offer a meal when they could have. As a matter of fact, most people speculate that probably people in the village even knew who had bread. Like, you know, you saw them making the bread as you're walking around your village, and so you knew they had bread and they didn't offer it. So when we consider that, and then we say, well, what's the question being asked here? I believe that the question is, can you imagine this scenario? Can you imagine someone saying, no, I'm not going to provide bread for you because my door's locked and my kids are all in bed and I'm not getting out of bed? Right? I think there's actually some humor in here. Um, maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt like, well, I'm not supposed to laugh. It's the Bible. No, I think it's actually really funny. For one thing, I think Jesus, very, of course, Jesus knew what he was doing, right? He's the best teacher there's ever been, right? But the fact that he used his friend, I think like the use of friend there is really significant, right? A friend shows up at midnight, which is kind of like, man, thanks, friend, for showing up at midnight and waking me up, and now I've got to provide you a meal. I'll be a friend to you. And then my next-door neighbor friend actually is not being a friend because he's saying, you know, I'm not going to get out of bed and help you. And Jesus even says he doesn't do anything because he's a friend. In other words, he's actually not acting like a friend, but he'll do it because you asked him, and he kind of knows he has to. And so, again, the question is, can you imagine this scenario? Can you imagine someone not getting out of bed to help their friend out um, and not providing bread for them? And, again, the obvious answer would be, no, that would never happen. Again, I wonder if there's some humor in, I wish. Like, I wish I could, like, you know, hold back on hospitality, but we can't do it. It would never happen in our villages that we wouldn't offer hospitality to someone in need, even if it's the middle of the night. But the, the message there isn't, God's like a grumpy neighbor who, you know, if you wake him up, he has to help you out. No, not at all. Right, because Jesus then says, ask, seek, knock. Those are our present participles. It means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He's saying, look, if this grumpy neighbor is going to get up, how much more your father who's waiting for you to ask? Right? He's there at the door saying, I hope they knock. I hope they seek. I hope they ask of me. And so, again, if a grumpy neighbor will get up, how much more? That's the message. Now, there's some question. If you look at verse 8, how do we understand that word impudence? Right? Maybe that word struck out you. Interesting word. And there's actually a lot of debate kind of among you know, Bible translators how best to translate that word. You may see sometimes it's translated perseverance right? because of his perseverance. Right? Is the idea there that the neighbor is bold and you know, that kind of covers impudence, even maybe a little rude, but he's willing to do it because he wants to be a good neighbor? Or is the idea there that he perseveres? He doesn't give up in providing. Some even wonder that that word maybe refers to the neighbor that's in bed um, and it means, like, to avoid shame. Like, it kind of has this idea, like, he'll get out of bed to avoid shame. Whatever the case, and we can debate that, clearly, we see in this teaching, we see in other teachings of Jesus, we should be bold in prayer, right? To, to pray to Almighty God is bold, right? I'm one person among billions, and I think God wants to listen to me, and I think I can bring my request to God, that I can confess to God, that I can praise Him. Absolutely, you can. And that's bold, when you think about it. Right? And we should persevere. We should keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So there is a call to perseverance, and Jesus in other places calls us to persevere in prayer. But the idea is not be bold because God you know, won't pay attention to you unless you're really bold. Or persevere because eventually you'll wear God down. No, the answer is actually, or the, the point is, be bold because God has invited you to be bold. Be bold because your Father says, be bold, come and ask me. Persevere because God invites you to persevere. He wants you to persevere. And so we need to kind of mark our, our thinking as we come to the Lord in prayer. Is our attitude of, you know, I have to convince God to hear me? 
I have to persevere so that eventually, right, he changes his mind? Or is it rather, I'm talking to Father who's saying, I'm so glad you're coming to me. I mean, look at our Isaiah reading. Such a beautiful reading, right? He's saying, come to me. Seek me. Right? If you seek me, I will guide you. You will hear a voice guiding you. And the problem was that they weren't seeking him. The problem was that they didn't call out to the Lord. Right? Not that he wasn't responsive, but that they weren't taking advantage of the fact that the Lord is eager to hear them. So when we you know, acknowledge this, this um, boldness that we're called to because God wants us to be bold, this perseverance because he wants us to persevere, then even as we think about inviting others to pray for us right, and to pray with us, we're not actually saying, hey, will you sign this petition? Because if I get enough signatures on this petition, God will, you know, heal my friend or whatever, right? I mean, again, we need to fight that type of thinking because it's easy to think that way. I'm asking other people to pray with me because if I get enough numbers, as opposed to I'm inviting others to pray with me because God invites them to pray. And God has created me to be a person in community with others. It's actually a blessing when I can say to others, would you pray for me? This is something I'm struggling with. Would you please pray for me? We're actually inviting them to go to the Father with us. And what a joy that is. What a privilege that is. Right? Again, it's great to have many people praying together. We pray together in the Lord's Prayer or the prayers of the people. We share prayer requests because God's created us to be a community. Right? And often as we pray together, we may have faith in our prayers in ways that those we're praying together with maybe are, are lacking faith. And that's a beautiful thing. But again, as you invite others to pray, right, it's not that, well, God listens to some people more than others. It's rather that God loves community. And so when we see in James, go to the elders and ask them to, to pray for you, well, that's saying, look, live out your identity as one who's part of a church, right? We've talked about that in this series. You're called to gather with other believers, and therefore it's right that you would go to the leaders of the church and ask them to pray for you, right? You're blessing those leaders, right, to come to them and say, please pray for me. Please anoint me with oil and seek healing with me. And I say that as an elder in the church who loves it, who's so thankful when people come and ask for prayer. Um, we, we love to pray uh, together. And again, it is a privilege. And so God is eager for us to pray um, and to, for us to come to him. But secondly, we can say God responds. The Father responds to our prayers. He acts as we pray. Now, I want to be clear here. Sometimes I think we, we think about prayer and we say, well, prayer changes us. Right? I mean, that's, you know, we pray because it affects us. And that is definitely true. Prayer does change us. But note that Jesus doesn't say, verse 9, and I tell you, ask and you will grow in faith. Although that's true, right? As we ask, we do grow in faith. Or seek the Lord because as you fix your eyes on Jesus, you become more like, or fix your eyes on the Father. <laughs> Jesus, right? As you fix your eyes on the Father, you become more like the Father. That is true. As we seek the Lord, we become more like those, the one who we set our eyes on and who we seek. Right? But Jesus actually isn't saying that here, even though, again, that's true. He's saying, seek and you will find, right? Knock and the door will be answered to you. God is responsive. The Father doesn't just hear your prayers and think, that's nice of you to pray, but responds to our prayers, right? that there's a, a, an action. Now, again, that's not saying that God changes, right? So we may change as we pray. God does not change. His character, his attributes do not change. And again, I think we need to watch our thinking on this because the fact of the matter is when people come to us with needs, whether it's, you know, uh, children coming to us, the, to their parents, or maybe coworkers or friends, we often do change. I've heard from many parents who've said, you know, as my children come to me, I've grown in compassion and patience, or at least I've learned I need to grow in patience, right? I've, I've, I've been sanctified. 
But to be clear, when we come to the Lord and pray for his compassion and his goodness, it's not out of a desire that maybe God will become a little more compassionate. Maybe if I pray this, God will become more good. He can't become more good. He is fully and totally good. Right? There is no darkness in him. Right? He can't become more compassionate. Lord, he can't become more loving. He can't be, become more of a provider because God is fully already all those things. And so we have to, again, watch that thinking. We are coming to one who is full of love, full of compassion, full of kindness. And we bring our requests before him, not to change him, but prayer does change things. And we see that here. It changes situations. It changes the circumstances. Right? Things are different once we've prayed than they were before we prayed. Years ago, uh, Molly and I were in a, a small group. This is before Church of the Cross began. It's when we lived in Indiana. And um, in this small group, we were uh, talking together and sharing prayer requests. And uh, one, uh, a woman in the small group shared about a situation her husband uh, was in, um, a super hard work situation where he was kind of stuck. Like he wanted to leave his job, but he couldn't. And, and anyway, she shared the details with us. And so we, you know, the group said, all right, so we'll pray for some resolution there. We'll pray that something, you know, works out for, for your husband, that God shows a way. And she said, no, 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 don't, don't pray that. Just pray we would receive whatever God has for us, that we would trust him in the midst of this hard situation and that we would submit to his will. And so we all said, yes, we will pray for that, but actually we're also going to pray that the situation gets resolved. We were kind of an obnoxious small group. Like, you can tell us to pray one way. We will do that. But we want to pray for resolution because we think God could resolve this. We don't know, right? The Father knows best, uh, right? But, but we can ask. And we did ask, and we prayed for that. As it turned out, in that situation, a couple weeks later, we came back, we met again, and she said, you guys aren't going to believe this. Right? But God made a way. Like, it actually got resolved. I thought it was impossible. I thought there was no way this was going to get resolved, and it got resolved. Right? God acted. Now, I realized as I share that story, and of course, we faced into it, right? There's a mystery there, right? Would that situation got resolved if we hadn't prayed? I don't know, but I'm so glad we did pray. But then, of course, the question becomes, well, what about those situations where we pray for resolution, where we pray for God's intervention and his breaking in, and we don't seem to see it? And that's where we, I want to acknowledge sort of the third thing I want to focus on here as we think about the Father, right? The Father is eager for us to pray. The Father responds. The Father knows how to give good gifts. And this is where the end of our, our passage emphasizes. The Father knows how to give good gifts. So Jesus says, verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, it may not be obvious, but these kind of four items, there are similarities between the two, right? So we can kind of see with a fish and a serpent, like especially if the fish is like an eel-like fish, right? They can look similar to a serpent, right? And apparently, I haven't had much experience with scorpions, but apparently they curl up into a ball, so a brown scorpion curled up could look like an egg, like a brown egg. And the reason that's significant is the idea here is a good father isn't going to, like, play tricks on his child. He's not going to say, like, here's a fish. Ah, it's a serpent. Ah, you know, here's an egg. Oh, look, it's a scorpion, right? That would be cruel. It would be awful. And yet, I think oftentimes we feel that way with God the Father. Like, he says, I will give you peace. And we ask for peace, and then we feel like, wait, the Father didn't give me peace. He actually made things worse. He made things more difficult. He says, I will provide for you, and we ask for provision. And then we feel like, I prayed for provision. I feel like God's actually taking things away from me, right? that he's lessening the provision. Right? We pray for healing. And we may feel like, I prayed for healing to the Father, and I actually feel like he did a switcheroo on me, and I got worse. 
But the situation got worse. I think Jesus is acknowledging in this example, right? We know good fathers don't do that. But maybe we wonder at times, right? Is our father good? And he makes it clear, if you then are evil know how to get good, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? In some ways it would be easier if we didn't have verse 9 and 10. If Jesus hadn't said, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. It'd be almost easier if Jesus says, sometimes you ask and you don't receive. You know, and sometimes you knock and the door's just not opened. Right? And then it's like, oh, at least you didn't get our expectations up. But if Jesus had said that, he wouldn't be telling the truth about the Father. Right? He can't tell a lie about the Father, right? He can't say, hey, you know, just so you know, the Father's, you know, not always good and not always responsive. No, that wouldn't be true. The Father is always good. He's always responsive. And so what do we do when we feel like we, again, we've received sort of the switcheroo from the Father? Well, the hard, actually, truth there comes out in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts. Now, clearly, Jesus is not saying you're totally evil because he's saying you know how to give good gifts, right? In general, fathers know don't give your child a scorpion, right? We, we know that. So what does he mean when he says if you then are evil? He's saying you are evil in the sense that compared to the father, right? Compared to the father, even if you're the best father in the world, the best human father that you can be, compared to your heavenly father, you're lacking, right? You're actually evil compared to him because he is so good, right? And I think we get our minds around, yes, God is, well, we can't get our minds around, but we acknowledge God is so holy. God is so powerful, but also God is so loving. He's so kind that actually that's beyond our full comprehension. And so those words, though you're evil, kind of hurt a little bit, but it actually is a reminder, the Father is just beyond us. We can know him, we can come to him. That's what makes it, again, all the more amazing that we can bring our request to him. But his ways are beyond our ways. And so at times we may say, he doesn't seem like he's a very good father. And Jesus is asking us to trust the Father knows how to give good gifts. Matter of fact, he so much knows how to give good gifts that he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a surprising moment there at the end. We expect him to say, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good gifts to those who ask him? And actually in Matthew, um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, in that you know, version of this teaching, it does say good gifts. In Luke's it says the Holy Spirit, which is interesting to think about that Jesus give this teaching multiple times. But certainly what we can say is what is the best gift we can receive from the Father, right? Every good and perfect gift um, uh, comes from the Father of lights. Right? But what is the best gift? It's himself. It's his very spirit that he gives. And so the father who did not withhold his son, who gave his life for us, the father who does not withhold the spirit but pours out the spirit, we can trust that he gives good gifts, that he gives us the very spirit. So let's pray for that. Lord, on this day, that as we are thinking about prayer, we come to you in prayer. We as your children. And we come to you, Father, and I just want to pray um, on this morning that you would grow us in faith in you as a father and trusting you as a father. And Lord, we know we can be honest with you and that we can acknowledge the ways in which we've struggled with feeling disappointed, the ways in which we've been mystified by prayers that haven't been answered in the way we felt like they should be answered. And But we ask, Lord, as we bring those things to you, that you would grow us in a, a trust and in a knowledge of you. I pray, Father, that we would go to prayer, not just because it is good to pray, although it is, but because you are good. And it's so good to be in your presence and to seek you out. 
And I pray especially uh, for those this morning who perhaps are struggling, struggling with, with prayer, with the desire to pray, perhaps struggling with trusting you, that you would meet them, that they would hear that voice speaking to them. This is the way, walk in it. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.